Welcome back to Impact Show. So the reason why I created this show is to really exploit some of my great friends in my network. The one thing that all my friends have in common is they have to put up with me asking them to be on my show. I knew Bill would be okay with it. Um, really excited about this. And you know, the idea around impact is really about the type of impact that you're making on the world, not just in business, but with your life and your legacy and the things that you're doing. This is a very special place that we're standing in right now, which is Bill Lyons Car Museum at his residence. Uh, Bill, tell our group a little bit about you and your background in a few minutes. Just tell us where you grew up and kind of how you got into the work that you do. Uh, well, I was born in Newport Beach. Uh, was there a couple years and then my dad uh, who had been in home building since the 50s uh, became uh, chief of the Air Force Reserve. We moved back to Virginia for four years, came back again, finished up school uh, in Newport uh, and um, my parents built this house uh, which was completed about 1988 in Cota de Casa. Uh, I went to St. Margarita High School out here, um, went to college, came back and even though I'd been working summers for my father's company uh, since I was about 11, um, I started full-time after college and uh, spent about 22 years in the company, uh, which was William Lyon Homes for the majority of that time uh, and then recently combined that uh, with Taylor Morrison Homes and I serve as a board member there. And um, this is part of my parents' home, my, my dad, uh, uh, was a, a car nut, classic car nut uh, specifically, and I kind of got the bug from him. Um, have different favorites maybe than, than he did, but uh, it was an interest we both shared and we had a lot of fun with it together. Awesome, I mean, there's so much there, Bill. The legacy that the Lion family has created, what you're taking into the next generation. Tell us a little bit about this property. So you say Cota de Casa. How much property are we talking about here? Tell us about the land that we're on. Um, so when my parents bought this, this was kind of the end of Kodo. Uh, it was the site of the 84 uh, equestrian, I think, Olympic events. It was really hard to get out here. You had to go through San Diego Canyon. And um, then over time, as Santa Margarita got developed, uh, they actually built out the rest of Kodo, and now we're kind of in the middle of it. Uh, but uh, it's a 135-acre property. Uh, with orange groves on it and, and uh, very colonial in style. Uh, my parents had a, a colonial house when they were back in Virginia and they wanted to bring that back with them. And um, so that's kind of the story. Super awesome. And last time I checked, I had a three car garage. Tell us a little bit about this awesome garage and let's walk and talk a little bit as, as we dive into this spectacular venue. So the initial uh, building that was built with the house is kind of what we're standing in, which is 14,000 feet, including storage, and there's three service bays in the back and a lift and the whole thing. Some years later, we added on another 10,000 square feet, not necessarily to house more cars, but just to spread everything out and, and kind of make the experience a little more enjoyable. It was a great thing, so we, we've now kind of got uh, a little bit of a mixture in this room, and then the back is kind of, uh, you know, some of my dad's favorites, which were, you know, Duesenberg and Mercedes and uh, some other special cars, Auburn's Cords. Awesome, and today is a very special day because together, in partnership with the IEC, we're putting on an event for Orange County United Way and the great work that they do with the Women's Philanthropy Fund. So we are the men of breakfast, and we're putting this group 
group together of about 60 executives, CEOs within Orange County, car nuts. I can't wait. In fact, I want to film the look on their faces as they come rolling through here. A lot of people hear about this place, but they never get to step foot. So thank you for kicking off the inaugural Cars and Garages of Orange County. This is going to be something that we do quarterly in honor of the great work of Orange County United Way. I mean, we're battling homelessness, uh, crime, financial literacy, all sorts of different issues, housing, and those are the kind of things that happen by building a great community. So thank you for loaning your incredible car museum to us for this spectacular day. Tell us a little bit about your favorites and some of the most historic vehicles that are here. We're gonna be playing B-roll as you go through. So maybe as you look around, tell us about some of the, the vehicles that are in here and, and maybe like three or four of them that are very special to you. Uh, well, uh, I probably would start with my dad's favorite, which is just in the other room here, but that's a uh, 1929 uh, Duesenberg. And it was, if you ask my dad what was his favorite car, it was always that car. And that was for, for a couple different reasons. He'd always wanted a Duesenberg. He'd never, he'd gotten close a few times and never bought one. And then my mother surprised him on his 60th birthday. They had a big uh, surprise party at the Briggs Cunningham Museum, which used to be in Tustin and kind of an industrial building. And at the end of the party, and there was several hundred people there, this, Briggs drove this car out and my dad thought it was part of their thing and didn't really get it that it was his and then the bigger thing he didn't really get for a couple weeks is it's the first J model Duesenberg and the J's were what made uh, Duesenberg famous they were the ultimate you know luxury performance American car supercar really that was probably ever built and uh, they made less than 500 and that was the first chassis it's it's or the first engine, I guess. So Duesenbergs are a little odd. They're all known by their engine number, not their VIN number or chassis number. It's a little odd. So J101 is the first J model, uh, which was my dad's favorite. And I was one of my favorites. Um, he taught me how to drive, uh, how to double clutch on that car driving up and down Cota de Casa driveway when I was about 14. And I thought he'd lost his mind because I was like, I don't think I should drive this. He's like, no, it'll be fine. So, so that's a cool one. Any other standouts? Uh, yeah, the Packard behind us here, this blue Packard, that's a 34 uh, LeBaron. It's a one of four bodies. Uh, so LeBaron used to be a coach builder, not just a Chrysler model. Um, so they built bodies for uh, Duesenberg, Packard, all kinds of different makes. Actually, the, the J101 Duesenberg is also a LeBaron body. Uh, but this is uh, pretty unique in that there were only four of them made. It's kind of, 34 was kind of the pinnacle of Packard uh, design, both mechanically and aesthetically. And it's a, a swept back boat tail uh, speedster, very sporty. Uh, won its class at Pebble Beach when it was freshly restored and then is placed as it, when it went back actually many, many years later. Um, my dad sold the car at one point and uh, bought it back again. and. He was uh, super excited uh, to buy it back, and, and uh, that came out of Harrah's, I believe, originally. Okay. So, awesome. Big history there um, as and well. Anything back in this uh, showroom? Why don't we start walking that way yeah. and kind of take a look at that? So, to give you sort of a different flavor, so this uh, Alpha here, which is super tiny uh, in size, actually has a, a big history behind it. So, this is a 65 uh, Alfa Romeo Julia TZ2, and the TZ is Tubulero uh, Zagata, so it's a Zagata-designed body 
Um, they built about 100 aluminum TZs, and then as they got to kind of the end of their run and they were becoming a little less competitive in racing, uh, they looked at the rules and figured out, okay, they could mess with the bodywork. Um, so they actually rebodied, or didn't rebody, but bodied a new uh, run of cars, and there was only, uh, I think, 11 of these built. And uh, this was one of the uh, factory team cars, so it ran at Le Mans, it ran at Monza, it ran at Sebring, uh, all the big races, uh, and then the livery it has here is uh, from the Targa Florio, so which it had a, a, a great uh, performance there. And we showed this at Pebble Beach, it was a lot of fun, kind of different for us, uh, given that we're normally doing classic, heavy classic stuff, but uh, had a great time showing it, cramming my dad in the passenger seat for the tour. Uh, it's the loudest car I've ever driven. The exhaust is right under the driver's window, and it's a, you know, it's a race car, so it's a straight exhaust. If you are a car simulation nut, or your kids are, uh, so the award it won that year, so that was 2009, I'm pretty sure, was the Gran Turismo Award. So oh, awesome. the makers of the Gran Turismo video game basically selected the car, and the prize was they came out with a team from Japan and scanned the car into the game. So, so if you get enough points, you can buy the car in the game, and it's kind of interesting. There you are, 1965 Alfa Romeo. So what else is going on in here? This is, this is great. It, it keeps going. <laughs> so this is a lot of mostly Duesenbergs and uh, Mercedes. Uh, this is a 35 uh, Duesenberg. SJ. The SJ designates a supercharger. There was only about 35 originally supercharged cars. I think we've got three of them here. This one was a one-off, so back in this period, if you had enough money, you could, you know, not just get, you know, a super high-end car like a Duesenberg, you could get one that was just your design only. Awesome. And uh, so this was uh, built for a Maharaja of Indoor India and bodied in London and basically was the, you know, the ultimate spec. There weren't a whole lot of options uh, from the factory, but it's a long wheelbase versus a short wheelbase supercharged car uh, and a speedster, which um, there's very few speedsters, uh, which is basically a, a two-door roadster with no roll-off windows. Oddly enough, this car has some Orange County history in that the Maharaja had a house in the Flower Streets in Santa Ana and was married to an American actress for a time. And uh, so I'm not sure it actually made it to India, but it has uh, these interesting marker lights on the fenders, which apparently were his idea to solve a problem where, you know, if his car was driving around his kingdom, people would bow to the car, even if he wasn't in it and he didn't like that. So the lights were to indicate if he was in the car or if his wife was in the car, or if they were both in the cars. Oh, very cool. <laughs> so you knew what was going on. The base Duesenberg was 265 horsepower. That supercharger got you up to 320 horsepower. So these cars were capable of well over 100 miles an hour. Uh, didn't stop as well as they went, um, but, uh, but some pretty cool racy things. Um, all the supercharged cars have uh, an exhaust cut out basically, so you can bypass the muffler and have a straight exhaust. So it's kind of a awesome. racy hot rod thing to be able to do. Um, Pretty else? innovative for the time. Oh, yeah. Any, anything else in a, in a well, closing I, yeah, vehicle? I could, <laughs> I could go on. I know. These. Um, there's some interesting history. I mean, that's one of the things that always interests me about the cars and was really my dad's, you know, cars that have a story. Um, this is an Isada Fraschini, so a, a Italian car, 
Uh, kind of like Alfa Romeo, I think actually uh, considered a step up in the day. Rudolf Valentino had a nice Sato Fraschini. This is one of two bodies in this style by a coach builder named Castagna. Uh, this car won Pebble Beach, unfortunately before we owned it. <laughs> We've actually never actually won Pebble Beach. So a car that has two windshields like this and a convertible with no roll-up windows is generally called a dual cal phaeton. Normally they would be a uh, four-door as a phaeton, but this is a two-door with a back seat. Uh, and, and the dual windshield, I mean, what's going on back there? Is that for a VIP, a dignitary, or is that uh, just how it was just, for, for yeah, wind, just, wind blockage? Just so you don't get your hair messed up, I Got guess, it. basically. Okay. Um, and you can see kind of we have sure. some other cars that have different wind screens, but if you actually have kind of the, the fold-up kind of hard cowl that uh, makes it a dual cowl. Um, right. On the Mercedes side of the equation, yes, for a couple, I'm gonna give you a bunch here, but this is a 37 uh, 540K Special Roadster Mercedes. This is kind of considered the pinnacle of Mercedes design, and this was their in-house uh, coach-built car. You know, there's, there weren't a ton of these built. They were some different options, different fenders you could have on the front, low doors versus the high doors this car has. Uh, this car has an uncovered spare in the back. Uh, you could have a cover for the spare, but they're just, you know, one of those cars that looks like they're going 100 miles an hour sit still. Uh, and they are supercharged, uh, 5.4 liter engine, uh, only produce 180 horsepower though, compared to a Duesenberg uh, from almost a decade earlier. So really interesting kind of the differences in, you know, American muscle versus the European uh, approach. Uh, then if you kind of look the next car over, um, so that was a 540K, this is a 770K, so 7.7 .7 liter straight eight, supercharged with the K for compressor, just like they still do it. Um, this was a one-off body uh, ordered by the Prince of Iran, okay. who would become the Shah of Iran. Uh, order before the war, not completed until during the war, and Iran was on the Allies' side, so not delivered at all. Wow. Uh, sat at the factory, uh, was captured by Russian troops and put on a rail car back to Russia, and the factory thought it was destroyed and never seen again until late 1980s. A guy um, bought it and got it out of Russia into Canada, and then my father restored it. Wow. Uh, and uh, just, you know, the overkill of uh, German engineering, uh, it's, I think, got three different horns, two complete ignition systems, um, you know, custom tool uh, little trays in here, everything with its own little spot, uh, and you can see all the the engine turning on all this aluminum and magnesium uh, is really beautiful. Uh, but uh, just, you know, they, these the 770 class was supposed to compete with Rolls-Royce <clears throat> as a car for heads of state and dignitaries. And then of course, you go a little bit further <laughs> in years and you get into what Mercedes was doing during the war, which this is 39, this is 41. So this is an Offner Touring Wagon, which you've probably seen in newsreels. Uh, because the Nazis were using these. Um, this is based on the same car, but this is much more uh, military in application, not as much ornamentation, uh, and uh, actually completely bulletproof. Glass, doors, floor, uh, and uh, there's actually even a uh, armor plate that can be cranked up behind the back seat. 
this car was given to the Prime Minister of Finland by Adolf Hitler, who rode in it, I believe, about three times and uh, spent the rest of the war in Finland. Uh, I've been trying to figure out the whole Finnish connection uh, with World War II because it is a little interesting. They were flying our planes, fighting the Russians, also flying our planes, except they had big swastikas on our planes because they were allied with Germany. And then I guess at a certain point in World War II, they flipped and uh, fought against Germany. Um, but it's a massive car. We've had it for, gosh, I don't know, 35 years or something. Um, but you can get a sense for the armor just with the thickness of the windows. And um, so really interesting piece of history. And it uh, toured the US at one point uh, to help sell war bonds. And they you know, basically tried to pass it off as Hitler's personal car and put you know, German flags all over it and the whole thing. And the, the real history was actually a little more interesting in the, the sort of interplay and in politics between the two countries. And uh, this uh, one is class at Pebble Beach. Um, it's hard to decipher, but it is that the fenders are black and the body of the car is a, a dark, dark, dark blue, which doesn't really pop until you get it in the sun. But uh, pretty uh, amazing piece of engineering and history as well. So Bill, I mean, it begs the question here, to keep these cars in this condition for so many generations, are you taking these out? I mean, they have to, to exercise their legs, right? Can you talk to us that process? Yeah, every, every car uh, gets driven at least twice a year, wow. a few miles, and they you know do a full service on it at least once a year. Usually find something that's gone kaput and fix it and keep it going, so. So as we wrap up our interview, Bill, um, you know, kind of tell us because, you know, we have thousands of people that watch our show and, and people are, are aficionados, they're asset collectors, you know, without asking you how much all this is worth, how, how does a value of an asset like this go up? Is it how clean the car is? How, how many miles are on it? Is it its historic nature? What are the details that go into this asset class? Um, so cars, I think, and it, it's, evolved over time. I think um, there was a period, like in the 80s, there was a lot of value placed on, you know, perfection and the level of restoration of the cars. And obviously we have some that are, you know, basically perfect. Um, but nowadays I'd say, you know, if, if a car is a nice original, that actually has, has a higher value. And so you'll see some crazy prices paid for things that look a little beat right, <laughs> just right. because it's it's original it's only original once it's kind of the same way i think uh you know antique furniture kind of went through that cycle as well where right. now the, there just aren't that many originals anymore and then you really get down to you know there's kind of a couple different elements but the rarity of the car how many were made you know you know was it was it a great car to begin with i think there's some that have become collectible because right. they were financially not commercially successful and they didn't make very many uh, but uh, but there's sort of the rarity factor so you know when it comes to like the Duesenbergs or the Mercedes you know they made a lot of Mercedes but how many of that body did they make and you know the Duesenbergs we have some that you know they were bodies you could order of a catalog so there might be 40 or 50 of those or three or just one right. um, and then the last thing is kind of what they you hear them talk about provenance is you know the story of the car and being able to trace it from the beginning sure. to now and you know the story what what happened where was it 
um, you know, who was associated with it. And sometimes that's, you know, the best part is kind of the stories. So it's all about that history, that birth certificate of your vehicle and just keep track of that like a log, like Bill's saying, cause that'll add to the asset value of your car. I have one exotic car. It's my 2007 Aston Martin I'm very proud of. I worked hard for it and I take very good care of it. Similar in nature, I know it's history. I know it's birth. I know it's, it's progression and it's exciting. And hopefully one day I can pass it along to my family. Uh, Bill, you also have a collection of aircraft. Can you tell us just in closing a little bit about Lion Air Museum? Sure, yeah. Lion Air Museum is at uh, John Wayne Airport. My father had started collecting 20 years or so, mostly aircraft that he'd flown. Uh, I think he flew basically everything except the one plane we have there, the sort of a Vietnam era plane that our president of the museum, he actually restored that plane and he flies it. We have uh, everything from, you know, a, a Stearman, which I think is a 42 or 43, which was is kind of a canvas winged biplane, you know, basically where you'd start training as a Air Force or Navy cadet all the way to a B-17 Flying Fortress, uh, which you know was a, a heavy bomber during the European uh, side of the World War II conflicts. You've got some vehicles uh, down there as well and a lot of memorabilia. Uh, we have a great team of uh, volunteer docents, many of them are vets who just love talking to people about everything down there. We try to do some intermixing of the cars and the planes. We've been hosting a few car clubs throughout the year who generally do a little event there and then uh, generally in the summers uh, because it's warmer we don't have air conditioning we don't do as many events during the summer so we try to do private events like weddings that kind of stuff uh, so we usually do a car display because we're not moving stuff in and out quite as much super cool and we've shared that information in case you want to go it's an awesome place i've taken my children their schools it's just a great place in closing when you open lion air museum i'll never forget i did approach you 10 years ago i said hey can we bring elon musk to the air museum you said sure um, and your father who was a great mentor to me as well um, just uh, opened the doors. I'll never forget that moment where Elon Musk came to Orange County at the right at the opening of Lion Air Museum. It was a very special day. Uh, we were there with a lot of tech and, and other business leaders and you've always been so generous to me over the years and to our whole community and that's leadership. It's all about action and taking an initiative like that. I know Elon's going to watch this because I'm going to send it to him but imagine looking at the generations. It's all about transportation. We as human beings, we're social creatures but we also need to go places, right? So over generations, moving has always taken a forefront. Any closing thoughts on your thoughts on electric and how the world has moved in this direction and where your personal interests are around your own cars? Uh, well, my Tesla's outside, so maybe that tells you something. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to see all the new electrics coming to market now. Um, you know, range doesn't seem to be as big of an issue now with the battery technology where they're getting it. So I think, you know, if they can get the cost down, there's definitely, especially with volatility and oil and everything else going on right now, I mean, it's definitely a, a big advantage to just be able to park your car in the garage, plug it in and not worry about it. Um, the only times I do worry about it is when I forget to plug it in. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I love that as a dependable way to get from A to B, but, uh, but I enjoy the, the older cars just because they have so much personality and, and uh, 
you know, you may not be going as fast or as comfortable, but there's somehow, I don't know, I've got the sickness, so it's hard to explain. I know, that's good. I got Tesla too. It's, it's a fantastic thing. And, you know, in closing, Bill's created so much impact here in Orange County and Southern California. Another project was Pretend City Children's Museum. In fact, he asked me to join the board when I didn't have kids, probably because he thought I was a kid. And I said, sure. And then I had children. I realized what an amazing place you created. Um, you and some of the founders, can you just talk in, in closing? I've said that like three times, but these projects just keep coming, right? But this is the last one. Okay. Pretend City Children's Museum. I mean, we took an entire city, really like Orange County and all the main landmarks and shrunk it two thirds in size. And there has been hundreds of thousands of people. Your late friend, Kobe Bryant, helped us open it. Can you tell us a little bit about Pretend City? Yeah, I think, you know, the mission of the museum is really to help kids build better brains. And when we started, it was funny because there wasn't a lot of research on the importance of play and childhood development. Now that's getting a lot more attention. There's a lot more statistical data about it. You know, the, the one of the scary things before COVID, only about half of the kids in Orange County, regardless of socioeconomic uh, status, were ready for kindergarten. And I can't imagine it's gotten better over COVID. It must be much, much, much worse. So it's really to try to find, you know, provide this venue for uh, kids to play in and parents to learn how to interact with their children in the real world to help their brains develop. Um, you know, we're working on kind of the, the uh, future of that now, which will uh, be in a different location, uh, much bigger, some outdoor, uh, activity as well but uh, but you know it's it's been a great thing to be involved in and to know Absolutely. you know now that my oldest who was five when uh, we opened is 17 it's kind of wild but uh, but you know just trying to yep. helping physically explain to kids how systems work money system you know if you want to buy something you got to work to get the dollars to go buy it and food comes from the farm and goes to the store and goes to the grocery you know it goes to the restaurant and then to the house and all that stuff is, you know, on a, a when it's on a kid-sized level, it just it clicks with them. It's really cool to watch. Uh, absolutely. Well, thank you again for taking us through this uh, breathtaking, jaw-dropping. There aren't enough adjectives to describe this amazing venue. But think back to your legacy and the impact that you're making. It, it really just comes back to the people in need, right? And we just told a story about different ways that Bill and his family has made an impact on this entire region, their industry and the world. And these are things that you can do as well. And that's something I wanna challenge you with. Think about what is your pretensity? What is your Lion Air Museum? What sort of thing can you do to give back to the community? And if you're more interested in Orange County United Way, the information is here, or the Internet Marketing Association, IEC, and our Men of Breakfast supporting the Women's Philanthropy Fund. All that information is here. We're excited to have our first uh, Garages of Orange County event officially tonight. We're gonna welcome about 60 leaders in about 30 minutes. So I do appreciate you for tuning in, and we'll be back at you. And don't forget about Impact 22 happening in Deer Valley at the Montage, October 7th through 9th. I hope you can make it. Take care.